Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. And so we've been looking in Matthew chapter 13, and I'll just back up really quickly tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Matthew 13. Verse 47 through 30 is where we uh, have uh, looked at uh, this, this past uh, evening, uh, or this past Wednesday, rather. And I want to just quickly read that parable to you tonight once again. And it starts with once again. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. It says, when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore and they sat down and they collected the good fish in baskets, but they threw the bad fish away. It says, this is how it will be at the end of the age. It says, the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. just want to pray for the word once again tonight. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your spirit is in this place, Lord, and we're grateful, Lord. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just speak to each and every heart tonight, Lord, that your word would minister to us, God. Your word would just counsel us, Lord. It would instruct us, God. And, and most of all, Lord, it would lead us, God, into just a deeper relationship with you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as, as these words are spoken, Lord, that they would be led by you, Lord, and they would not be my own, Lord. And we just give you the honor and the praise tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen from you too, amen. All right, are you awake tonight? I will wake you up. All right, amen. <laughs> so we covered this last week, and I, and I want to just touch on this, and then we'll shift directions a little bit. But we noticed here about this parable of the net. We noticed that the net is the gospel, and the net does what? It brings in and it receives of every kind. Does that make sense, right? The net of, of, of the Lord, it's unbiased. And it receives all uh, who enter it. Amen. The, the net will receive that which it is cast to and it will receive them to itself. And so I want us to understand when the gospel is preached, church, when Christ is shared, the message is for everybody. Amen. It's not just spoken to a particular age group. It's not spoken to just a particular type of person or a particular nationality of people. But it is supposed to be offered to everyone. Amen. And the church, that is the, 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 the body of Christ, the people of God, you know, and even in establishment just like here tonight, we are to have open doors to receive anybody that would show up. Amen. Amen. Just like a hospital doesn't turn anybody away that's sick, neither should the body of Christ, the church, the people of God. We shouldn't turn anybody else away that's sick and in need of restoration and in need of forgiveness of sin. Amen. We all have come to this hospital for the same reason, amen? And that's to meet with the master physician, amen? We've all come to this place to meet with Jesus. And so Jesus is the one that does the work and he's the one that sets people free and they get delivered and he transforms our life, amen? But guess what? As we are sharing the gospel, and I say this on a day-to-day -day basis, as we share the gospel, we are to share the gospel in an unbiased way. We're not supposed to just go to the store and, and preach to the person that looks like us or preach to the person that, that maybe we can relate to. We are to share the gospel with all the world. Amen. How many of you know that Jesus died for everyone? Amen. 
Jesus did not just die for the rich. Jesus did not just die for the poor. Jesus did not just die for the healthy. Jesus did not just die for the sick. Amen. He died for everyone that they might know him. Because it was the purpose and the plan of God since the beginning, since the garden, that man would have relationship with God. And when the enemy got in the way and the enemy, you know, deceived Eve and, and, and everything, you know, went wayward, he caused people to believe that, you know what, God is just a choice. No, my friend, God is not just a choice. God was the choice. We were the choice of God. Ever since the beginning, the Lord had established that his creation would know him. And the scripture tells us that, guess what? There will be a day, and, and, and we should recognize this now. The Bible says that all men will be without excuse. Because the glory of God, the testimony of God, the fact that we have a creator has been made plain and seen for all to see. So guess what? On that day when people might say, well, you know what? I don't want to choose Jesus. Or I don't want to choose Christ, you know, or receive the forgiveness of my sins. Here's the deal. They may want to reject Christ, but the fact is, is that guess what? They will know that they're rejecting the living God. And they will know that their creator still had a plan and a purpose for their life. It will be a willful choice and decision. They will understand this. Amen. But how many of you love Jesus? Amen. Amen? How many of you love Jesus? How many of you are saved? Amen. How many of you are grateful to be saved? Woo! That's like the best day. That's the best thing that's ever happened to your life. Amen? And so what we learned last week was this, is that we who are saved, we who know Jesus and have a relationship with him and have received the gift of salvation, we are to be net casters. Amen? We are to be those that cast the net of the gospel wherever we go. I love it when, you know, the gospel is preached, and I love it when... There's people that, you know, maybe they don't know anything about Jesus. Maybe they've, you know, never, you know, had the gospel presented to their life. But when the gospel is preached, people listen. When the gospel is truly shared, you know, from, from one person to another, people all of a sudden they tune in and, and, and they, they, they recognize that, that this story is not just a story about a man who walked this earth and, and died for their sins thousands of years ago, but the, the story actually has power. Amen. There's power in the testimony of what Jesus has done for our life. Amen. And that power is what, you know, what draws us in. It's, it's him himself is what woos us in. The Bible says that where he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. But we have the responsibility, church. Here's the deal. We have the responsibility as the body of Christ to be the net casters. Amen. And this is where I want to kind of just get into quickly tonight. We realize, or we read that story last week in John chapter 21. I'm not going to read it for you, but John chapter 21 is when Jesus has already died for the sins of the world and he has now come back and he's revealed himself in the earth. And the disciples, those that were, that followed him, you know, day and night for the last three and a half years, they go out fishing and they've been out all night. They were toiling and they were fishing and they were working and they were trying to catch some fish. How many of you know that it gets frustrating when you're trying to do something with all of your strength and with all of your and your might and it just doesn't happen? Has that ever happened to you? Man, I've, I've like... I've gone through seasons where, you know, it's like I'm, I'm supposed to do something and I know what I'm supposed to do and I, I work so hard at it, I work so hard at it, and then it just seems like it doesn't actually, like, get there. 
right? It's not fulfilled. You know, everything that I was working to do, it just falls short. And the disciples, they go out and they're after, they're after, go out after this long night of fishing. And guess what happens? They, they come back in and they pull into shore and they've caught nothing. And if you forget who some of these guys were, many of them were actually trained professional fishermen. So imagine your profession and what it is that you do for a living, the thing that you're good at, the thing that God gave you a gift to do in this world, and guess what? You are unsuccessful at what it is that you've been trying to do. You could be a nurse and, and you couldn't put the IV in and you couldn't give the shot right and, and you missed, you know, whatever. You could be, you know, a teacher and you graded a paper wrong, you know, whatever it is that you were supposed to be good at, you failed to do. And guess what? That's a frustrating place to be in. And the disciples, they come back after knowing how to fish. They're frustrated and they're tired. How many of you have ever, like, done an all-nighter? You know what I mean? Like, you, you, you stayed up all day and then you stayed up all night and then you come back. And the first thing that, you know, somebody tells you is this. They give you advice. And you're just like, bro, I don't want to hear your advice. Right? Has that ever happened to you? Am I the only one? Okay. <laughs> They pull their boat into the shore, and Jesus is there, and Jesus says this. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And I can imagine there was an emphatic no. It's like, really, man? We were just out there all night. And then you ask me if we caught anything, no. He says, they answered no. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Really? <laughs> right? It's like when you're trying to, I don't know if anybody messes up this, but when I was younger, I used to have trouble knowing which way to turn the screwdriver. Right? Until I learned, you know, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, right? How many of you have, you, you put the screwdriver in and then you're just like, you're getting frustrated because you're twisting it the wrong way. And that's what this situation is for these guys. They're professional fishermen. Jesus says to them, he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some fish. Really? Really, Jesus, if I throw it on the right side as opposed to the entire ocean that we were just fishing, I'm going to catch some fish. And guess what? The scripture says, when they did so, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. How many of you know that when Jesus tells you to lower your net and where he tells you to lower your net, it's probably a good idea to obey, right? It's probably a really good idea to listen to what it is that he's telling you because guess what? Jesus always knows best. Amen? He always knows best. And so moments after this great haul of, of fish, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, says to Peter, he says, it is the Lord. And they realized something in this moment. They realized that they were talking to Jesus who was resurrected. Now, I want to stop there and just explain this for a second. A lot of times we don't do things because we don't realize the authority that we have. And we don't realize the authority that has been carried. This is why a lot of people actually fizz out in prayer because they stop praying because they've gotten nothing but unanswered prayers. Amen. 
You prayed for something. You hoped for something. You, you were contending God. You were asking and petitioning God for something. And all of a sudden, it just seemed like delay, 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 delay. Nothing ever happened. And then what, what happens to the prayer life? It just starts to fizz out. And here's the deal. A lot of times we won't even like evangelize or tell somebody about Jesus because the first time you tried to tell somebody about Jesus, they rejected you and then you got scared and you didn't want to do it anymore. Or the first time you were bubbling up with just the joy of God and you shared your testimony to somebody else, they said, oh yeah, that's interesting, that's nice. And then they just kind of like blew you off. How many of you know that if, if they rejected Jesus, they're surely going to reject you as well? Amen. That if they had the living water right in front of them, just like the Samaritan woman did, and he said, you literally have the living water in front of you. If you knew who I was, you would take a drink, right? And a lot of times we fail to fulfill things that the Lord has commissioned us and asked us to fulfill because of failure. We stop short of, of fulfilling what the Lord wants us to do because we failed. And then all of a sudden we don't want to do it anymore. And Peter is a perfect example of this because just a moment after this, after they realized who it was that had been speaking to them the whole time, the Bible says that Peter wrapped his cloak around his body and he jumped out into the water. Why does Peter jump out into the water? Because the last time he talked to Jesus, he denied him three times. And did you know something about the Lord, church? The Lord is so merciful and he's so gracious. The Bible says that his mercies are renewed every morning. You know that we all need mercy, right? We all need mercy desperately. We need the mercy of God upon our life. We need the grace of God upon our life to do anything for the Lord. We need his mercy so bad. We need his grace so bad. But the beautiful thing about the Lord is this. It's the moment that Peter recognized that it was Jesus who was speaking. He recognized that Jesus was in his midst. He recognized that Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was and that he was still alive. When he recognized that and, and all of a sudden he had this epiphany, the light bulb went off, he jumps out to pursue Jesus. And I want us to understand this tonight. Listen, when you know who Jesus is, you will willfully in, in, in desire to jump out off of that ledge to do what Jesus is asking you to do. Amen? It comes so much more easy. It comes so much more natural because you know the voice that's speaking to you. It's not just any voice. A lot of times we're not obedient to every voice that speaks into our life. We're not obedient sometimes to our parents. We're not obedient to our pastors. We're not obedient to a friend or a loved one. We're not obedient to authorities or teachers in our life, you know, because of our, our own flesh or whatever the reason but when you recognize that it's the voice of God that is speaking to your life, that's asking you to do something, that's commissioning you and giving you the authority to do so, it's a great idea to listen. It's a powerful idea to listen because, listen, it's important for us to understand this one thing. I, I shared this, and this is where we left off last week. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says this. God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. No matter how many times you fail him, no matter how many times we deny him, his gifting and his calling upon your life, he will not change what he had established for you to do. 
See, had Peter just stayed in denial of Jesus and had he backslid and never came back to Jesus, God's plan for his life would not have changed. Think about that. I remember years ago, I, I was preaching a, a message on a Sunday and must have been seven or eight years ago. And, and, uh, and, and as I was preaching, the, the Holy Spirit clearly told me that there was somebody that was avoiding the call of God on their life. I remember this like clear as day. And I'm preaching a message I think that had almost nothing to do with, you know, that subject. But as I'm ministering from the word, I just remember the Lord say there's somebody that's avoiding the call of God upon their life. And it just kept ringing in my ears the whole, the whole time. So finally, I just share it. And the Lord had actually pointed out a guy to me that was sitting on this side. And he didn't do anything. He didn't move. He didn't raise his hand. He did nothing. And I was kind of like, I guess I heard wrong. I don't know. It's possible, right? You know, it's possible to, to think that you're hearing something from God and you're not hearing something from God. So nothing ever happened. Nobody moved, closed the sermon, finished, you know, prayed and, and dismissed. And then as I was picking up my things, there was a girl that was sitting on this side. And she's just looking at me. She's like staring at me. And then, you know, it kind of made eye contact. I just kind of did one of those, you know, I was being nice and courteous. And then she says, uh, she kind of like, she was with a, a guy, a, a man, and, and they're looking at me. And I'm thinking like, what did I do? You know, <laughs> I have no idea what I did. And then finally they wave at me and they ask me to come speak to him. And the girl says to me, she says, do you believe that what you said is true? I'm like, um, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I'm, I have no business lying behind the pulpit. <laughs> she goes, do you believe that God told you about the person that had been avoiding the call of God upon their life? I said, yes. And she's looking at me, and all of a sudden she just begins to burst into tears. She says, that's me. And she was probably, I think, in her early 30s at the time, 32, 33 years old. And she says, for the last 20 years, she said, God told me when I was like 13 or 15 years old that I was called to this specific area of ministry for like girls and women and stuff like that. She said, but I've, I've been rejecting God this whole time. And she just began to cry. And, and, and she was like, I just feel like because I've rejected him so much that my time has passed. And I remember sharing this verse with her. I said, it doesn't matter how long you've waited or you've delayed, the purpose of God still has not changed. It didn't matter that Abraham and Sarah waited for years for the fulfillment of Isaac to be born. Amen? The plan wasn't any different. God, was, God had ordained that they would have a child. Amen? And so I remember I just began to minister and pray for her, and that was the last time I ever saw that girl. All I know is that I, I, you know, God needed her to know that. And she just was to pick up her cross from that point on and move on. And so last week, the Lord did something special in the lives of, uh, you know, several people. And I, I believe that, you know, that was really important because it's ultimately to fulfill what the Lord has in store for our life. Amen. And so we ended at this part in this story and I'm thankful that the Lord brought people back to restoration in him because ultimately without restoration we cannot fulfill what he's asking us to do amen 
You can never move forward in the Lord with the things, you know, if, if you have baggage between you and God, it must be dealt with, amen. Until that is dealt with, then you can move forward uh, in the Lord, amen. So I say this, as net casters, as people that are, you know, being used by the Lord to share the gospel, we are being, we are being those who are discipled by the Lord to be fishers of men, amen. That is, in your discipleship, in your time that you are spending with the Lord, in, the, in your prayer time, in the time that you are in the word, you should be a person that God is preparing to be a fisher of men. Amen? We don't just read the gospel just to know Jesus. We, we, we know Jesus and we come to a knowledge of who he is. But guess what? It also prepares us at the same time to fulfill his purpose. Amen? And so when we understand the depth of the calling that God has placed upon our life, it should humble us to the fact that the Lord desires to use us for his purpose. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 18, it says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, everybody say us, he gave who? The ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling, reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to who? The message of reconciliation. So verse 20 says, so we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through who? Through us, he says, so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as fishers of men, amen, as people that are, are to be sent into this world like a net, we see in the scriptures that we ourselves are to be reconciled back to God, amen? And if you've been reconciled back to God, then we, we need to understand what God has given us charge over, amen? Let me give you the definition of that word reconcile. That word means to call back into union and friendship, We'll read it one more time. It means to call back into union and friendship the affections which have been alienated. Remember what I said just a moment ago in Genesis chapter 1. The whole plan and design of God is that we would be what? With God. So the reconciliation that happens, it calls us back into union and friendship with God. And the broken friendship that had, been, that had us alienated from God. The definition continues to say this. It's to restore friendship or favor after estrangement to reconcile men or parties that have been at variance. So when you were saved through Christ, you were restored back to communion and fellowship and friendship with God. Amen. And we were no longer alienated from God because of sin. Because Jesus' blood now has washed over us and has paid the price for our sins. Therefore, we are able to come into the courts of God because Jesus has made it available to us. Amen. He is the door, right? Romans 5 and verse 10 says this. For if... While we were God's enemies, how many of you know that you were an enemy of God at one time? Say amen, amen. We were enemies of God. That means that at one time you were on the other team, right? You weren't on God's team always. Well, say Pastor Duke, but I've been raised in church. That doesn't mean anything. Listen to me carefully. 
Just because you stand in a garage does not make you a car. <laughs> right? Like, let's be honest. Rec- being reconciled back to God realizes and understands this thing, that your sins put him there. It's an admission of our sin and our sinful state that we were an enemy of God at one time and we needed to be brought back into friendship with God. It says this, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Amen? The only way that we are saved is through the life of Jesus. Amen? So now that Christ is your life, we've been given this ministry responsibility of reconciliation. That means that we go about imploring other people on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Now let me define the word implore for you. That means to call upon or for in supplication, to beseech. That word beseech means to pray with urgency and to petition with urgency. Just a moment ago, we were praying with urgency. Amen. We were praying with urgency. We were petitioning with urgency, right? That is, we were, we were calling upon God. We were asking God for something. We were praying with an urgency in our heart. So if you connect this whole definition together, it means that we pray for others and we petition them with urgency to be made right with God. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That there's an urgency in your heart that wherever you go on a daily basis, you are desiring that people would be made right with God. We see people around us 24-7 that are probably not right with God. And guess what? The Lord has given us this ministry. This is not just for, you know, the disciples. It wasn't just for the 12. It's for the church. It's for the body of Christ. Those who have said yes to Jesus. This is our ministry. Now I say this with urgency and importance and emphasis that we understand, church, that, that, that as the body of Christ, it's our work to be done. Do you know that when, when one person is slack in their work and everybody's like, you know, pulling a car or something, it makes it harder on the other people. Amen? I saw a picture of these guys, and it was the funniest picture I've ever seen. But there's a car that, you know, the engine had died and, and it needed to be pushed, right? And there's like three or four guys on the ground pushing the car. And then there's one guy standing in the bed of the truck pushing the window. <laughs> You're just getting it, right? So you got three or four guys on the ground going, oh, you know, and they're trying to push the car. And the other guy's standing in the bed going, as if he's doing anything. He's not doing nothing. He just added weight to the car, right? He's making it hard for the other four or five guys that are actually trying to push this thing along. But I want us to understand something. How many of you know what to take ownership means? Right? When you take ownership of something, it changes the way that you behave. One day, if you don't own a house yet, for those of you that are a little younger, one day when you own your own house, you'll treat it differently. And all the parents said, amen. Right? For those of us that have a house, you know, you, you'll treat it differently. 
I remember, you know, when I was at my parents' house, I didn't care. You know, I colored on the walls, and, you know, I, I did stuff, and I spilled juice on the floor, and, and I didn't care. Now, now I'm like, you know, don't spill juice on the floor. You know, I'm, 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 I'll, I'll jump under the juice to protect it from hitting the carpet because I don't want the carpet to get stained. We handle things differently when we take ownership of them. We live differently when we take ownership of things. And the Lord is wanting us to take ownership of this ministry that he gave to us. How I many you know when God gives us something, that's a, that's a wonderful thing, amen? But at the same time, it makes us accountable. It makes us accountable to operate the way that he is wanting us to operate. So he says here, listen, pray for others and petition them with urgency to be made right with God. So I want us to just ask ourselves this question tonight. And I'll ask you, but just think about this for a second. How many of you know the difference between being forgiven and reconciliation? Just think about it. The difference between being forgiven and the difference between being reconciled. Think about it just in your own mind just for a moment. I'll give you the answer. The difference between forgiveness and reconciliation is that forgiveness requires nothing from the person that you're forgiving. Right? They don't have to forgive you back. Right? They don't even have to acknowledge if you ask them for forgiveness. You just, you forgave. Right? Whether they accept it or not, you've done what's been asked of you according to Scripture, right? They don't even have to know that you're forgiving them. That's just, it stays there. Reconciliation, though, here's the difference. Reconciliation requires repentance from the offender. That means that even then, he or she does not dictate the terms of the reconciliation. So when you came to Jesus... I pray that you came to Jesus acknowledging the fact that you knew that your sins put him there. Knew that you were unworthy to receive the gift that he is offering you through his blood. Amen? Knowing that it wasn't something that you earned from your good deeds. It wasn't something that, you know, you were favored, you know, by God, you know, because he thinks you're the best or anything like that. No, it was actually what we had done that put him there. That's the difference. And it requires repentance. So every person that truly believes in Jesus must repent of their sin. Amen. That means that they no longer want to live for the world and live for the ways of the world and their flesh and the desires of their flesh, but they now want to live for the kingdom of God and they will choose to follow Jesus. If you could understand the way the disciples did it, when Jesus called them to follow him, the Bible says at once they left their nets. That means that they had detached themselves from something that the world had defined them by and that the world had known them by, and they said, you know what, we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to give up everything that we have, every right that we have to ultimately follow him and to know him. This means that those who are received by the net of the gospel and the message of reconciliation are those who've clearly understood that they were amongst those that yelled crucify him. If we were born 2,000 years ago and we were there in, in that city, and we were amongst those that had the option of choosing Jesus or Barabbas, you would have said, crucify him. 
That's a hard reality because we like to think that, no, Lord, I wouldn't have said that. But we're like Peter when he said, Lord, I'd go to the grave for you. And he said, hey, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. That's the reality of the situation, amen? They were, we would be even those that would be amongst the clothes or amongst those who had cast lots for the clothes of Christ. Think about that. Say, not me, Pastor Duke, you know, I've always been good. No, my friend, you would have been amongst those who cast lots for the clothes of Jesus. We would have been those that were, you know, just like, uh, you know, that were calling for Barabbas to be saved and taken off as a, as a person that was to be punished for his sins and, and, and all of these things. We would have been those that would have been yelling and cheering on Barabbas instead of Christ. Think about this. Those who understood the message of reconciliation were once enemies of the cross of Christ. They were once those church that, that would have held the hands of Jesus down to be crucified. Our sins, think about this, pounded the nails in the hands and feet of Jesus. Our sins mocked his lordship. Our sins caused him to be bruised and beaten. Our sins tore the beard from his face and our sins spilled the blood from his side. That's the facts. That's the truth. And we are called, church, to let the world know about the wonderful news of knowing what he did. And we are called, church, to let the world know about the wonderful news of knowing what we've done and our wretchedness and what our sins deserved and how they were paid for by the mercy and the grace of Jesus. That verse that I shared with you earlier says his blood that speaks a better word when the enemy would say that you deserve to be cast away from the presence of God that you deserve to be fallen away that you're just because you were born a certain way or your family wasn't there for you or you were poor or people hated you or they hate your family and all these different things all the things that the world tells us think about this the moment that we repent of our sins and we come to Jesus, his blood speaks a better word. His blood speaks on our behalf and testifies that they're no longer wretched, but now they're friends of God. They're no longer bound. They're no longer, you know, stricken and held and, and damned and condemned by sin, but they're freed in Jesus. Think about this just for a second. Just, just understand, church, the glorious message that you get to participate in. The glorious message of the news of Jesus, the fact that we have done nothing to deserve this great gift that he has offered us, but yet because we have received it, we are now included in those whom he gave this ministry to. So that you would lay your life down and you would give your life and you would say, you know what? This is not about me anymore and my comfort. God, this is not about my comfort. Lord, this is not about my blessing. God, this is not about, you know, me. I'm not coming to church for me. I'm not, I'm not reading the word for me, God. I'm, I'm, I'm reading to know you, Lord, and I want to connect with your heart. I want to fulfill your will, Lord. There's such a big difference between the those two things. Sometimes we come to get 
And Jesus is telling us to give. Amen? Sometimes we come to, to stand and, and make noise before God when the Lord is saying, bow down before me. Sometimes we want to be alive and have control of our life. And he says to us, die to yourself. Die to yourself. You know, it's okay to let your plans and your dreams just like go up and smoke before Jesus. Because the best dreams and the best plans are those that involve him are those that, that have him at the center, are those that he births in our heart. I'll say this just as a, as a truth, as a testimony. I would have never dreamed I would be doing what I do. I would have never dreamed that the Lord would use me to speak into the lives of people on a daily basis. I would have never dreamed this for my life in a million years. But I can tell you as a testimony to the glory of God, it is the most rewarding thing knowing that I am smack dab in the middle of the will of God for my life. And it doesn't matter if you're in ministry full time or not, that's not the point. The point is, is that you can be smack dab in the middle of the plan of God for your life and in the will of God for your life when you fulfill what he's asking you to do. When you take ownership of what he's given you, when he said, I've given you the message of reconciliation and I've given you the ministry of re reconciliation. The invitation from Christ to us is this, is he's saying this, you grab that end of the net, I'll grab this end of the net and we're gonna lower it down into the world and we're gonna see what we're gonna catch. That verse that I had read to you uh, last week in 1 Corinthians, it says that some sow, some water, but God brings the increase, right? We're just those that sow and those that water, but it's ultimately God who harvests. It's ultimately the Lord who rescues the souls. And the Lord gives us this invitation to say, listen, let's harvest them all. You remember the scripture when he says, the fields are ripe for harvest. What's he talking about? He's not talking about wheat. He's talking about souls, amen? He's talking about the souls of men. They're ripe. But Pastor Duke, the world is going hellbound. There, there's so much darkness in the world. They're ripe. Jesus said it, so guess what? It is. Oh, but Pastor Duke, it looks like the, the sky is falling and we don't know, you know, which way to turn and all this. The fields are ripe. Why are we focused on ourselves? If he said in his word, that he would take care of the lily and he would take care of the sparrow. And if he said, seek first my kingdom and all my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Why are we worrying about things that he holds the future to? If the future is in the hands of our God, then guess what? I don't need to place my mind and my focus there and my worry there. I need to just fulfill his word and do what he said to do here and now in the present. Tomorrow is promised to no one. Saved or unsaved. Believer or non-believer. Tomorrow is promised to no one. The trumpet could blast and the eastern sky could split tonight and we could all be raptured up to be with him. And guess what? You would never have another opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. You wouldn't have it. it, it your, your time would have passed. 
but I believe the Lord is wanting us to be a net caster, amen? But we have to ask ourselves this question, are you a net caster or are you just a shipmate? Are you just along for the ride while everybody else does the work? Or are you going to be those who Christ has called you to be? Are you fishing for men or are you fishing for trouble? That's a good time to say amen. Are you fishing for men or are you fishing for trouble? Because here's the deal. Those who are fishing for trouble, they're causing strife in the church and they're not being a part of the solution. They're actually being used to sabotage somebody else's net. You ever met people in church that, no, never mind, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want our minds to go there right now. I don't want our heart to go there. But here's the deal. When people are not fulfilling the word of God and they're just trying to stir up strife and trouble, all they're doing is being pawns for the devil and they're stopping you ultimately from fulfilling the will of God for your life. Truth. I've had people tell me things and try to discourage me from doing God's will and fulfilling what the Lord has for my life, you know, because they accuse you of certain things or they say certain things towards you. And ultimately, they're just little darts from the enemy that are just trying to get you to stop doing what God has called you to do. Pastor said it right now, silence the voice of the enemy. His blood speaks a better word. His blood always has the final say-so over the matter. Proverbs 6 says, A troublemaker and a villain, one who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with their eye, who signals with their feet and motions with their fingers, who plots evil with deceit in their heart, they always stir up conflict. I'll just give you a word of encouragement. Avoid the troublemakers. Amen. They will derail you from fulfilling the purpose and the plan of God in your life. People who stir up conflict are constantly in conflict with others. Amen? How many of you know people that are just like living in a world of drama, like 24-7? Ah, it's okay. This person said this and blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, what are you doing? You're just getting yourself involved in the devil's business, and ultimately, you're not fulfilling God's work. I guarantee you, think about this. People that have time to talk about the walk of another person certainly aren't praying for their brother or sister in Christ. Right? You're ultimately not fulfilling what God has asked you to do if you have breath to waste criticizing somebody else. Amen? So we don't want to be a part of that. We don't want to be a part of those people. But those who are good, those who listen to the word of God, those who are, you know, serving the kingdom of heaven while on this earth, they have a real relationship with Jesus. Amen. And that's when we go from being caught to catching. I'll read these verses to you and then we'll wrap it up. Galatians 2.20 says this. For I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's not my plan. It's not my will. It's not my strength. He says, but Christ lives in me. How many of you know that the Bible says that Christ in us is the hope of glory, right? Christ in us is the hope of glory. That means if he lives in us, then his purpose will be fulfilled in the earth. See, Christ is not living inside of us for us to do as we please. He's living inside of us so that the plan of his father is fulfilled in the earth. Amen. He goes on to say, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. So if you would just bow your heads with me tonight.
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.